Hello, welcome to Strange Love of Movies. My name is Livia Martinez and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Oscar and Emily Martinez. And today we're gonna to be discussing Baz Luhrmann's third film. So this is episode three of the Baz Luhrmann series, Moulin Rouge. This is a really exciting episode because we adore Moulin Rouge. It was one of my favorite films growing up and still one of my favorite movies. It is just, mwah. I've never seen something like it. I don't think there will ever be anything like it. It's just so spectacular, spectacular. Yes, it's quite the film. It came out in 2001, and you, I remember when we saw it in the movies, I don't think we'd ever seen anything quite like it before. There was so much action. There's so much stuff. Reminds me of that current movie that's out, or the one that came out in 2000, what year is this? 22? Uh, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yes. That's what it's, certain scenes seem like that. There's too much happening on the screen. And yet... The fact that it came out 20 years ago, I can't really think of another movie. I mean, like you say, there are movies that are similar, but can't really think of an equivalent, especially musically inclined movie that is like this. It's just such a, I would say, perfect movie because of how imperfect it is. Just because I don't know how someone gets the idea to make a movie about the early, early 20th century Parisian nightclub. I mean, it's titled Moulin Rouge because that was, right, it was a nightclub, burlesque club, one of something like that in the early 1900s. And then, but he was like, okay, we're gonna make it about this nightclub, but we're not gonna have a single original song. Well, there may be a few, but all these songs are by huge artists. You know most of these songs. We got Madonna, we got David Bowie, Elton John, Nirvana. And from all different eras. Yes. They're, yeah, they're not just going to do music from the 60s. I don't know how he did it. And Dad, you have a fact about the music, right? Right. It took him two and a half years to get the rights to all the songs that he played. And he still didn't get the rights to a Cat Stevens song and a Rolling Stones song that he wanted to use. Really? Yeah. Apparently that one, you know, that nature boy where he says there was a boy, you know, that yeah. he, he wanted to use Father and Son by Cat Stevens, that which is a great, great song. Yeah. Great song, right? But considering there wasn't a father figure in it, I don't think it would have made much sense. But Although anyway. he did, at one point, the writer is, oh, show, is talking right. about his father. His that's, father, that's who's right. like, you're a disgrace, you'll never be anything. And yes. he becomes, because the writer Christian, played by Ewan McGregor, decides he wants to go to Paris and write about love. And very early on he goes, the only problem is I've never been in love. And you literally learn all about Christian's backstory and everything within 30 seconds. This movie moves so fast. You're introduced to random characters so quickly. And if you don't pick up on their names the first time, you're going to be real confused. I mean, it took me multiple viewings to realize that Toulouse-Lautrec is in this film, right? <laughs> you were wondering who that little short guy was? Kind of, yes. Because I didn't realize it was a real person. But yeah, he's the famous and really good painter, Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec. And he's played by John Leguizamo, who is Ma one of Mom's faves. Well, he is. I mean, he's a terrific actor. He can play any kind of character. He's so good. But just stuff like that. They're just like little hidden gems. A lot of these people are based on real people. A lot of them aren't. And it's just a cluster of madness. And it's spectacular, spectacular. And Toulouse-Lautrec, the post-impressionist painter, is his kind of the reason that Moulin Rouge is still famous. Because his paintings of the Moulin Rouge um, are or kind of keep it alive. And it's brilliant because, okay, also, I hope you guys have seen Moulin Rouge or else you're going to be like, why are they talking about this randomness? Go watch the movie before you listen anymore because you really got to see it. But I was going to say, what's crazy is 
There's a picture of Toulouse Lautrec with Zidler. Did y'all know that? No, I did not. I mean, they were Toulouse Lautrec was genuinely good friends with all of these people, including Zidler, who is played by Jim Broadbent. Jim, yeah, and he does an amazing job. We're gonna keep saying this, but this movie should have been nominated for so many Oscars, including like four different Best Supporting Actors. Yes. They're just so good. I know Jim Broadbent and John Luiziamo, they should have shared one. They were so, I mean, that, that yeah, showed yes. how big their roles were. They were supporting, of course, but they, they cast large And the shadow. Duke. Oh, yeah, the Duke. Richard Roxburgh, he's amazing too. He plays a great villain. So evil, it's but. a little bit funny. <laughs> this feeling inside, it's just, oh, it's so ridiculous. And before we get too much further, could we ask our resident uh, French expert, what does Moulin Rouge mean? Red windmill, right? Yes, red mill. So, and that yeah. that plays a that plays a big part because that's literally there's this huge red windmill outside the club, and the sets were amazing, weren't they? Beautiful, beautifully done, and, and the we, costumes. Oh my gosh! I did win for costume, by the way. And you're right, and she always wins for costume. Baz's wife actually does the costumes for the film. Is it Catherine Martin or what is? Yes, that? it is. Good memory. And she has, I think, three or four Oscars just because his movies are so wonderfully costumed and they give, I mean, like we said in our first episode, Strictly Ballroom, the costumes play a big part in Baz's movies. And I think that he really has a soft spot for designs and um, clothing. So he really accentuates the clothing and it's it just be- beautiful, beautiful. Yes. And this was the, his third movie, right? Yes. Didn't it come out after Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. which was a huge hit with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. And so uh, they gave him a huge budget with this, right? And yeah, it shows. It shows on the screen. It's amazing. And, and just to get to the plot, you mentioned he's uh, Christian's a writer. It's 1899, actually, in Paris. And there's all this new feeling of newness in the air. And that's why the music, uh, you mentioned all the, all the songs being played. The, the one that got me was Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Here we are Yeah, here, all these uh, guys with top hats in 1899 singing, you know, here we are now, entertain us. And the thing is, I mean, it's absurd in a lot of ways, and yet somehow you just go with it. I mean, that's, it's that kind of movie where you just just take it as it is and just go with the flow and don't try to overthink whether or not that song actually belongs in that scene. That's very true, but at the same time, the songs all do really help move the story along, weirdly enough, you know? Yes. Like, Smells Like Teen Spirit, you know, the guys in the top hats are ready to get Moulin Rouge or whatever they want, you know? And they're all like, here we are now, entertain us, you know? So I think there was a lot of thought put into it. He didn't just say, I'm gonna have the most expensive Beatles song, the most expensive this with this huge budget. He didn't do that. He carefully thought it through the music. And you know, it's funny because the Martinez family, we're not the biggest musical fans at all, but I would say some of our all-time favorite movies are musicals, you know, Singing in the Rain, My Fair Lady, uh, Sound of Music, for me, La La Land, like, it's funny. And we love music. Yes. So, in a way, this was, actually, this was probably a perfect movie for people who aren't normally musical fans. Yes. Because it wasn't musical music. It was pop music put into a movie. And I always forget it's a musical, honestly. Like, if you had me describe this movie, I don't even know if I would say it's a musical, because you just sometimes, you forget, because there's so much else going on. And we haven't even mentioned the lead girl, the most important character, basically, in the movie. Well, I guess Christian's the most important, but... And Christian is played by Ewan McGregor. Yes, I did say that. that. But Satine is played by the lovely Nicole Kidman in this film, and she does an excellent job. It is so strange to see her so just 
wild. She's stunning. I mean, mm-hmm. as the character is just so stunningly beautiful and graceful and talented, but she also comes across as kind of wacky and funny. I mean, she really does a good job. Well, and if you've listened to this podcast before, you know how, how strongly I, I, I love Nicole Kidman. I love her and everything that she's in. This is really... That's one, not true. That's not true at all. Did, He's team Tom Cruise. Did, but I, at one, for one brief shining moment, I did like her quite a bit, and, and it was in this role. She's fantastic, I agree, and just really cast against time because she's always kind of the cold or just or the tough or whatever. And she, she was kind of tough, but she was, she showed a, a lot of vulnerability in this, in this role. And, and, uh, it was really well done. She did a good job. Yeah. I mean, she sang, she danced. I didn't know she could do any of those. Well, things. and that's the thing. Oh, can I, uh, connect it to connect the dots to another movie we, we reviewed recently that RRR, mm-hmm. this movie made me understand that one a little bit more. Cause that's what I was trying to put my finger on it. You just don't see actors putting themselves out there as much, like two really big, well, four, I mean, uh, the, including, and many more, a cast of, of hundreds, right? They were just being silly in certain parts, but and they were very earnest, too. Yes. He's talking about love and looking straight at the camera. I love, love, and it's so ridiculous. And yet, like you said, don't overthink it. And there are people who either love it or you hate it. <laughs> and I think we love it, you know. And, I mean, the actors are clearly having fun. And I've heard that Baz has a very fun set. You know, there are behind-the-scenes videos of him when he was making The Great Gatsby, like, partying with them, you know, with the extras and stuff like that. And there's a reason why Nicole Kidman came back to work with Baz for Australia. There's a reason why Leonardo DiCaprio, the biggest star in the world, decided to go back and work with Baz to play Gatsby. You know, there's a reason. And so he chooses the right actors for the right roles, but also they have so much fun doing it. I think everyone would love to be in a Baz production if they could. And come to think of it, John Leguizamo was in Romeo and Juliet. (gasps) That's right. Very true. So yeah, he just has actors coming back over and over again, which is so fun for him and for the audience because they're reliable and they do great jobs. So aside from the acting, the story is fairly absurd, but fairly simple. Basically, they want the Moulin Rouge to be more respectable establishment, which by the way, mom, you mentioned this, you were like, the real one was probably a lot grimier and nastier because this one's just colorful and everyone has all this makeup on and looking great, huge costumes. I don't know if they had any costumes. It's um, where the it's where the can-can originated, mm-hmm. the dance, the can-can. It was a burlesque club, yeah. so it really was the kind of place that was not family entertainment. Exactly, and so they want to make it more of a serious establishment, so they decide we're gonna have this musical that Satine's gonna be the lead for called... Spectacular Spectacular. And they say that many times in the film because it's the name of the play. And I didn't realize it's at the very beginning they yeah. called it that. I, I thought it was just made up on the spot, but that was that's always been the name of the, of the musical play, whatever it is, right? Exactly. And then Christian, played by Ewan McGregor, well, I'm going to keep saying that, but I'm just going to say Christian from now on. He somehow gets wrapped up into writing this play, which he's happy to do because he has no money and he's falling in love with Satine very quickly and she's going to be the lead, so may as well. And basically, the play mirrors what's happening in the film to the characters. And some of the funniest scenes actually involve a... There's kind of a confusion 
between Christian and Mistake, the Duke. Yeah, mistaken identity. A mistaken identity. And the Duke, who's supposed to come up with the money for this big production, and Satine tries to seduce him, but instead she accidentally seduces the writer, and da-da-da-da-da. And it's so chaotic, and the editing is just so quick and so wild. And, you know, Baz worked with the same editor for his first three films, and she did a great job because, yeah, it's just amazing. So quickly paced. And basically, by the end of the film, they are going to be putting on this musical, and it's going to be like, who will the lead character end up with? And it's the evil Maharaja, yes, or the penniless sitar player, sitar player. Which one of the funniest things that we never picked up on—we've seen this movie probably ten times—but John Leguizamo, yeah, Toulouse Lautrec, he literally is the sitar. <laughs> He is in the costume of a sitar. He, I, I remember early on in the movie, he goes, I'll play the sitar. And I thought he meant he'd play the sitar player. But he's literally the instrument. Yes, and he, he always speaks the truth, right? He always speaks the truth, both the sitar, on, on yes. the stage and also kind of on, off the stage too, right? Yeah, and all the characters really, besides the evil, evil Duke, have the right intentions, you know? They're wacky as can be, but they all really care for one another and are looking out for each other and it's a sweet and kind bohemian friendship i don't know and it is an old-fashioned movie in the sense that there's music and there's comedy but there's also an underlying tragedy yes well, and we it, know what the tragedy is in the first 30 seconds of the film that's right a little <laughs> little cough we won't give it away. But again, another connection to RRR, right? There's singing, there's dancing, there's action, there's, there's violence, there's death. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the reason why you connect it to RRR is because Baz was very explicit in saying that this movie was inspired by Bollywood. Films. Yes. And it was specifically seeing a Bollywood film with 2,000 other people in India. And everybody, I think I was telling you, Em, that it wasn't about, oh, I'm too cool for this movie, or everybody was singing, everybody was dancing, everybody was having a great time, and that's what he wanted to replicate here. So you're absolutely right. It wasn't so much the... It definitely was Bollywood, the colors and the costumes and all that, but it was the experience of seeing a film. He wanted to make a film like that. Oh, that's really interesting. I guess I had it confused. But at the end of the film, though, I mean, the, the musical within Moulin Rouge is set in India. So it just looks so It's crazy. Beautiful. All that stuff on the stage. It's insane. And it's so funny because another one of the funniest scenes is when they're trying to pitch Spectacular Spectacular to the Duke. And they have all these random props and stuff. And I said, if they had all these props, why do they need a budget? Because it looks great to me. They have a somehow an alpine background. They have like an elephant. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, that was great. That was one of the best scenes. Yeah, do we want to talk about our favorite scenes now? You know, sometimes it's hard for us to talk about our favorite films on here. That's why we kind of haven't done Napoleon Dynamite or Zoolander or anything like that because it's just so good and there's just so much to say. So maybe, yeah, let's talk about our favorite scenes just so we can better organize this episode. I probably would say my favorite scene, there are so many great ones, but the scene where Nicole Kidman is trying to distract the Duke mm -hmm. while she's trying to give Christian a chance to escape from oh. her apartment. I think that's really funny. And Christian's such an idiot for that whole scene. I don't know what he's thinking. He deserved to be caught. One of the scenes, it's my newfound favorite. <laughs> 
they have to renovate the the uh, the theater, the Moulin Rouge, oh, yeah. to turn it into a theater. And that that guy, that Jim Broadbent, he's larger than life, and he talks like this, and spectacular, spectacular. And he says, and we, this is a new era of the Moulin Rouge, just as he says that, this wrecking ball <laughs> misses his head by about a foot. <laughs> it's like, it's just so crazy. But that was like a day in the life of the Moulin Rouge, you know, typical, typical day. You know? That was a good scene. And I think my favorite, why well, again, have so many, but the absinthe scene is really crazy at the right. beginning when the yes. Tinkerbell-like girl is dancing with them and also honestly just the first well I can't say the first 30 minutes of this movie that's just wrong but the first 30 minutes no but the first five minutes of the movie are just amazing because you're introduced to Christian you're introduced to what's going to happen at the end of the movie you're introduced to Toulouse and all these people and all these characters you know the narcoleptic Argentinian falls through the ceiling and that's kind of the inciting incident for the whole film and his narcolepsy kind of plagues him throughout so it's just a ridiculous ridiculously fun movie another great scene is uh the dance scene where they do uh, roxanne by the police oh they're doing so the tango good. that is there's a, great a lot of scene. violence in it right with the you know the the women and the man just attacking each other that very kind of sensual yeah very 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 visceral so are we ready for the ratings i think we are so how many windmills would we give moulin rouge I'll start. I would give it five. I wish I could give it six out of five. I just love this movie so much. Everything about it is so excellent. It's so crisp, even though it's a total disaster. And I don't know how he made this movie. And side note, there is a Broadway musical now yes. of Moulin Rouge. And we are either going to see it in New York City or maybe in Dallas because it's coming fairly soon. And we want... It's just going to be so perfect on a stage. It's crazy that it didn't start on a stage, you know? We recently reviewed Strictly Ballroom, which was his first film, which was not as good at all. But that was originally a stage production. But yes. this was not, but it's turned into a stage production, and I'm so excited to see that soon. So yeah, six out of five windmills, if I can do that. And I'll, um, I'll stick to the rules, <laughs> and I'll give it five out of five yes, windmills. Yes, this is strictly strange love, right? <laughs> Yes, uh-huh. but um, certainly it earned every one of those five windmills. It was great, very entertaining, and really well made, and the kind of movie that you really do enjoy seeing many times. Yeah, I, I too would give it five out of five, and especially you mentioned we saw it, we've seen it ten times. It's probably more accurate to say we've seen the first half fifteen or twenty times, maybe, and the whole movie about ten. And it's not because the the movie drags; it's just that it's hard to keep that frenetic pace for the first hour or so. And yeah, it gets a little slower, but that's where the drama comes in. That's where the romance comes in. And it's it's still good. I, I, was, I enjoyed it. It is still good. And I yeah. always forget that because you're yes. so right. You know, the beginning of all of Baz Luhrmann's films are just so good. Yeah. And you end up, I mean, I forget the ending of, well, I guess I know how Romeo and Juliet and Gatsby end. Haha. But, you know, I just forget some of the scenes because I don't watch them as much just because you can go back and watch the first 30 minutes of Moulin Rouge, Romeo and Juliet, Gatsby, any of those forever. You know, they're just so engaging. But yeah, it has to slow down at some point, yet it barely does slow down. I mean, that Madonna scene was excellent with the Duke and all that. And then, yeah, the spectacular, spectacular, watching that production was amazing. You know, there's so much goodness to this movie and to think it was only nine years after strictly ballroom what an amazing turn of events i mean you you know there were some seeds of it were in that movie but it was just just incredible so it was great to see i don't know what you'd call it the full flowering of his talent and putting all that together so it was 
really, really worth watching. So. And a side note, but did y'all notice how every person in this movie had the prettiest blue eyes you've ever seen? I didn't notice that, but that's probably intentional too, to just kind of, everything is so, the colors are just so bright mm -hmm. and they, unrealistic really, nothing is supposed to be realism. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the eyes are colored blue. I mean, at, you know, added blue to enhance the color. And that's a good point about the colors because all the scenes outside, you notice how gray they are. They're showing these, you know, people drunk and prostitutes and all sorts of decadence outside. But inside, it's this incredible, lively place. And outside is just dull and gray like real life, you know. So kind of an interesting approach to that. And none of their accents were French, were they? I just thought about that. Probably Toulouse-Lautrec was a little bit. I don't know bad. what their action, accents were now that I'm thinking about it, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be realistic. You know, Baz is not a big realism fella. It'd be really funny if he tried to make a Terrence Malick kind of film. Sure, sure. And one last thing. Do you know why they were able to use um, Smells Like Teen Spirit? Oh, I do. You want to do the honors? No, you can. Well, apparently uh, Courtney Love tried out for the role of Satine. And she swears Baz Luhrmann wanted her to do it even at the end, but I do not I find that true. hard to believe. But they must have parted on good terms because she let them have the rights to it, and it really kind of... Yeah, because it is surprising to hear that in the movie. Yeah, because Nirvana, does, they are very stingy. Same with the Beatles and the Stones and all that, which they didn't have any Beatles songs. They had all, all you need, need is, love. is love. I don't know how they got all these songs, but it's just so excellent and I think that the casting was perfect I could I wouldn't change anything especially Courtney Love for Nicole Kidman I'd rather not have that they're just so different no, that would definitely change the the movie in a big way not yes. a good way and for Ewan McGregor you know who tried out for his role right L no fake Gyllenhaal ah Jake Gyllenhaal uh -huh. No, I don't like no. that either. Actually, he would have been fine. He probably would have been fine. He was too baby. He was too young, though. Yeah, I guess he would have been. He would have looked like a little tiny baby, I think. But that's an interesting idea. I don't know. It doesn't matter. This is what we got, and it's perfect. So it is spectacular, spectacular. Follow us on Instagram at strangelovemedia. Visit our website, strangelovemovies.com. And we will see y'all next time. This was episode three of our Bass Lerman series. And we hope you're getting excited for Elvis. We certainly are. Bye.